Please open to Hebrews 11 now, Hebrews chapter 11. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we have launched recently into a new preaching series on Hebrews 11 uh, called Faith, because Hebrews chapter 11 has been called the Hall of Faith because we get a lot of the characters of the Old Testament who are held out for us and exemplified to say these are commended to us by God for their faith. And so last week we learned about Abel. Remember, Abel was killed by his brother, and he was the child of Adam and Eve, and he gave an acceptable sacrifice to God. He was the first martyr for his faith. Well, today we're going to pick things up in the second character. There's 16 plus characters in the Hall of Faith with a mysterious character named Enoch. And Enoch is the seventh born from Adam, so he follows through Seth's line. As we just saw from our scripture reading, Seth is the son that then replaces Abel. And so you have Cain in this unfaithful line that leads all the way to Lamech, the seventh generation. And then this parallel track, we talked about this fork in the road, these two ways to live, a a way of righteousness and a way of unrighteousness. Enoch is ultimately on the path leading all the way to Noah. And so that's where the book of Genesis is going. But for the sake of Hebrews 11, he's just pausing in that godly lineage to stop at Enoch and show a faith that pleases God. So we're going to be preaching verses 5 and 6, but I will back up just to the first couple verses to set up Hebrews chapter 11 again, drop down to Enoch, and we'll read his two verses that he gets, pray for us, and then discuss today in our sermon a faith that pleases God. So Hebrews chapter 11, let's look at verse 1 again through verse 3, and then drop to verses 5 and 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old receive their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever would draw near to God, must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith that pleases God. Let's pray. Well, Father God, as we once again enter into the great hall of faith and now move from Abel to Enoch, Lord, as we admire Enoch and his faith, Lord, we pray that we would look past and through Enoch's faith to the grace that you gave to him, Lord. And the way that he pleased him, Lord, we pray that our lives would also please you by faith. And so, God, we thank you that faith is a gift that you grant, and we pray as the word of God is preached even now, the very word of God that you created all of existence, including the universe, Lord, that that very same word of God as it's heralded would grant us the very faith that pleases you. Lord, we thank you for those who were saved last week by faith. And Lord, we pray even today, if any don't know you, that today would be the day where you would grant them the gift of faith as well and the gift of salvation. And as we continue to pray, Lord, for the believers in this room, which are most of us, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and increase our faith through the hall of faith so that our faith might more appropriately please you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are called to please God by faith, but if we're honest, many of us are people pleasers before we are God pleasers. 
I was looking at some people pleaser memes on the internet this week and I found this great one from Michael Scott. He was the regional manager from the office, if you recall. He says, do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked, but it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. (laughs) Here's another one. I'm a recovering people pleaser. Is that okay? (laughs) Every people pleaser in the room gets that. Is that okay? People pleasers. At our heart of heart, we as creatures created in the image of God, we look at the other creatures, and often in our lives, we want to please them. And some of that's not wrong. Children want to please their parents. You want to please your boss. Some of that is right. Some of that's just honoring the authority in the world and trying to follow through with things. But there is a dark side to people pleasing that can take over our lives where we forget all about God and people are all that we're thinking about and we're basically just trying to move our whole lives as chameleons adapting to the people around us so that we might please them. In a worst case scenario, people pleasing, we actually lose ourselves, don't even know who we are anymore because again, we just kind of throw our our finger into our mouths, hold it up and try to adjust into every setting. Even in the gospel according to John, we're told that many of the Jewish authorities believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't stand for Jesus or acknowledge it. Why? Because they love the praise that comes from men rather than the praise that comes from God. They were people pleasers. Well, here as we follow the godly line of Abel, now replaced with Seth, all the way to Noah, we are introduced to characters who are living for the glory of God. They're living to please God. There's actually quite a contrast. We won't look at Lamech, but he's the first polygamist. He has some of the first poetry in there. That's that Cain line over there. He's building weapons and boasting about his violence and saying, you know, if the curse against Cain is sevenfold, mine's 70-fold, 77-fold. If he was a bad dude, I'm even worse, right? So humanity is going into these two different directions. And now we're taking this fast course. The author of Hebrews moves from Abel over to Enoch and says, look at this character. Here is an individual that pleased God with his life. And Hebrews 11 now draws our attention, scopes in and says, not only will we talk about Enoch, but the type of faith that pleases him. Because we don't want to be primarily people pleasers. We as Christians want to be God pleasers. Can I get an amen? Amen. We want to please God and we do that through faith. So if you're taking notes, there are three ways that we discover from these two short verses the faith that pleases God. If you're taking notes, the first thing we discover is faith that pleases God. Now, this sets the bar pretty low, but it's the starting point. Believes he exists. Faith that pleases God first has to believe he exists, believe God exists. So he talks about Enoch and then moves over. We're gonna circle back to him in a second, but look at verse six. He says again, without faith, it is impossible to please him. And please who? Please God, right? For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. Now, we'll hit the end at the end of our sermon and where this is going, but I don't want to pass over this because this is critical. If you want to please God, you have to be aware of the reality of God more than the people in the room. You have to deeply believe that God exists. 
The reformer said we live our faith quorum Deo, before the face of God, that every morning we wake up and aware, aware that we're living in God's world using borrowed breath in our lungs that our heartbeat is beating because he's given us life and he's given us this life and he's given us today. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. This is my Father's world. We sing that. We say that as believers. And if you don't believe that, you can't please God. Now, I said at the outset, this sets the bar pretty low because over 80% of Americans believe in God. Right? This is not a hard sell to believe in God in our country, although it's about, Gallup recently released a study about 81%, which is the lowest in American history since they started recording these numbers. So it's still more than 8 out of 10 believe that God exists, but it's going down from the 90s down to 81%, and maybe you're caught in that 19% starting to say, I don't even know. And if that's where you're at, this first point is for you. Because, now, I want to say this as well. Once you believe that God exists, it doesn't automatically please him, all right? Even the demons believe in God and shudder, right? Even Cain believed in God. Cain didn't please God. So it's not sufficient to please God, but it is a prerequisite to please God. Does that make sense? So you have to get this down before you can go on to the next two points in today's sermon. Faith that pleases God, believes that he exists. Now, you might be thinking, of course, Enoch believes in God. I mean, he's only seven generations away from creation itself. And here's the crazy thing before the flood. If you study the book of Genesis, these guys lived for a long, long time, right? Like, Noah, Adam lived 900 years. Something changed in creation after that cataclysmic event, and God himself said, I'm sick and tired of them living so long. He shortened our lives. We're not going to live as long as the trees and tortoises anymore, all right? Humanity's down to 120 max, right? God said that in, the, in his word, but before then, did you know that Enoch was alive? Adam was still alive at the same time. So, he, I mean, he literally could have gone to his great, 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 great grandfather and said, tell me the story about paradise again. Tell me about the Garden of Eden. Well, I remember the time God put me to sleep. I woke up one rib short, but bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, there she was. My first wedding and God officiated at it. And then remembering with remorse where Satan tempted him, and now they live exiled east of Eden, kicked out of paradise, away from the tree of life. I mean, maybe he pulled out the very garments made of the animals that God had sacrificed and covered over their shame, saying, God made this for me hundreds of years ago when I used to walk with him in the cool of the garden. But wherever that place is now, we cannot get back there at all. We can never get back there. I mean, God put angels to guard the way, whether it's this sort of angelic paradise that we are booted out of or here, I don't really know. But there's no going back. We are east of Eden, and we can't get back to paradise on our own. But he can go back and say, where did you come from? I literally was formed from the dust of the ground, and God breathed life into me. And he could tell him the story about Abel who died and now you're in the line of Seth. They lived the same time. But here we are, countless generations from that time immemorial. It's recorded in God's word, but you might look at it and say, this feels like 
distant memory at best and potentially a fairy tale. And yet God's word is still speaking, saying, at the very beginning, God spoke it into existence through the power of his word. And the whole of faith, the author of Hebrews said again, by faith, we believe, we understand that God made it all. If you doubt that, please go back and listen to the first message in the series because I talked about creation briefly there and some of the arguments for it, the intelligent design of all of creation and even discuss the Big Bang. Go back and listen to that. But I would also say this, 81% plus of Americans, most of the world knows there's, an, there's a God and he exists and I don't even need to argue it. You know why? Because it's a properly basic belief. If you've ever heard of that, philosophers use the language of basic belief. Alvin Plantinga argues this. He's still alive, a great Christian philosopher. He says, I don't need to existence the, or argue the existence of God any more than I need to argue that the past exists, any more than I need to argue that you all have minds, that I'm not the only mind in the room, any more than I need to argue one plus one is two. It is a basic belief. I can't prove that you have a mind and you're in this room right now. Maybe this is all a figment of my imagination. No. Now we're talking crazy. That's what basic beliefs are. I can't prove it. I can't disprove it. It's basically foundational to the entire existence in all of the world and all of creation. You created in the image of God is a basic belief that intuitively you know because God has put eternity in your heart and his DNA and his blood is flowing through your veins. Amen? You know that God exists. I'm not going to waste any more time. Now, there's great arguments, and I don't want to say, hey, just believe anything. And by the way, just because you believe in God doesn't mean you believe in the God of the Bible. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the reality that you're a creature created by God, created for God, you know that resonates with your heart. It is a basic belief. Koram Deo, we live in the presence of God, Latin. We live under his authority before his face. If you want to please God, you must first, with all of your heart, believe. And it's not hard to believe any more than children believe their parents exist, right? That he exists. The author of Hebrews says that's the first thing we must do to please God. Believe he exists. Secondly, faith that pleases God not only believes that he exists, but walks with him. We walk with God. In verse 5, he says this, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, I want to flip back to Genesis 5, which will be on the screens, to hear the original account of Enoch's life. Verse 21 when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So here we have Enoch who pleased God, is how the author of Hebrews describes it. And then you go back to Genesis. How did he please God? We're told twice. This is how he pleased God. The way he pleased God is he walked with God. To please God, the faith that pleases God walks with God. 
The first sermon in the series, I said, faith moves from our hearts to our feet, right? You remember that? That faith is nothing if it's not lived out. And Enoch's life exemplifies that because his faith was not simply a feeling, though he felt it in his heart. His faith was not simply cognitive ideas about God, though certainly he thought true thoughts about God, but he walked with God. To please God, we're told we must walk with him. The language of walking with somebody, Amos, the prophet says, do two walk together unless they are agreed to meet? The idea is that we are in agreement with God. I said at the outset, believing that God exists is a prerequisite to please him, but is not sufficient to please him. Here's the next thing. We have to walk with him. And what it means to walk with God excuse me, is that we come to God on his terms, not our own. All right, this is not him saying God walked with Enoch. Like, right, Enoch had a wonderful plan for his life and he invited God to be his co-pilot, right? Jesus is my co-pilot sort of thing, right? No, he didn't invite God into his plan and say, I'm going this way, God, you come along and bless it. No, he found out who God was He found out God's moral will and how God revealed himself to be the reality of who God is. God gets to define himself in all of reality as revealed in his word, and he aligned his life to walk with God according to that reality. To walk with God is to look for God. God says he's not far. In him we live and move and have our being, the Apostle Paul quotes in the book of Acts. And so God is here, God is present, but will you walk with him? Will you bring your life into alignment with him and come alongside with God and walk with him in your life? You know, it does appear also in this text that Enoch is a bit of a late bloomer which is hope for all of us in this room. Did you notice that he was 65 years old? Now, granted, they lived a lot longer back then. But still, look again at the text. It says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. He lived 65 years, had his first child, Methuselah, and then he walked with God after he had his first son. He walked with him the rest of his life, and then God took him before he died. We'll talk about the third point there. But here we have this miraculous man who's called up to heaven before he died, but he didn't even start walking with God, it appears, until he's 65 years old after he has his first kid. Now, I've been thinking about this, and I've met with some of you, even in the past few weeks, who started coming to church. I said, why are you coming to church? He said, my kids brought me here. I wasn't even thinking about God. And then I had a baby, right? And I thought, I should raise them to walk with God. And all of a sudden, here you find yourself. There is something about having children that intuitively knocks us back into the reality. I don't know, something about fathering children where we turn back to the father of all creation, where we we get back to the basics of what this is about. So here he is, he has a child, he starts a family, and all of a sudden we're said, after he started a family, he walked with God from that point forward. But here's the important thing. And like get him baptized, raise them, get them through the church, they're off and be like, all right, I got my church thing done. I got my kids through, you know, their religious upbringing and now back to life as normal. How many people have you met that do church until their kids are out of the house and then they're done? That is not the faith of Enoch and that is not a faith that pleases God. 
His kids are grown and gone, and Enoch continues to walk with God to the very end of his life, which happens to be cut short because Jesus or God takes him home early. But either way, I just love this picture. And so whether you're here because you started walking with God young, and you're continuing to walk with God, or maybe you're here in the middle of your life because of circumstances or even your own kids have brought you here, the life of Enoch says that that faith counts too. And that faith can become real in your life and continue beyond the circumstances that brought you here initially. My prayer for you is that your own Methuselah in your life awakens faith that pleases God. I quoted Amos 3.3. I also want to quote Micah 6 before we go on to our third point. Micah 6.8 says this. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? If you want to please God, yes, God exists. Now, run hard after him, and then once you catch him, after he catches you, walk with him. Walk humbly with him. Walk humbly with him the rest of your life. Do not... Drift to the left or to the right. Where God leads, you will follow. To please God with your life, walk with God. Thirdly and finally, faith that pleases God not only believes that he exists, walks with him, but believes he rewards. Believes he rewards, verses five and six. I'm gonna reread them in their entirety. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. He walked with God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, here we go, and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, I don't know if that shocks you, that the way that you please God, the way that you seek God, you come to God, you believe he exists, you walk with him, and at the bottom of this, all you believe this, that God rewards those who seek him. You're saying, I can't please God unless I believe there's a reward at the end of this? Isn't that kind of selfish, Stefan? Shouldn't I just do it because it's the right thing to do, no matter the reward? Well, kind of yes and kind of no. The author of Hebrews three times, will look at it, holds out rewards and says, don't throw away your reward. Go after the reward. If you want to please God, yes, you must believe in him and you must believe he is a rewarder. And so it's right in your Bible that you don't come to a stingy God. You come to a God that rewards those who earnestly seek him. Amen? Amen. Now, Enoch knew this. I mean, one of two people in the Old Testament go to heaven without tasting death. Elijah, right, swept up in the chariots of fire, never had to die, just instantly translated to heaven. And Enoch, that's a great reward. I wonder what his walk looked like. I mean, it just leaves the imagination so open. I mean, these verses are just so quick, and then you're like, what? 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 <laughs> he was not... God took him. That's amazing. He didn't even have to die. 
just instantly walking with God. He's walking with God in life, and then instantly he's walking with God forever. He never has to stop walking with God. He's never separated from that walk with God. Right away, he's swept up. That is his reward. Now, that is a very unique reward. (laughs) I don't think... We talked about we're continuationists. We believe that God continues to do the things in the Bible. This is one. There's only two. So I doubt you're going to get this one. If you do, hallelujah. But it's, most of us have to go through the grave to glory. All right. But that's a great reward. You know, and rewards, yes, they could be selfish. But the Bible also holds rewards out to us to help us to endure great hardship. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing throughout the book because they are tempted to throw in the towel and give up. And he's like, don't give up. There's a great reward if you persevere. You know, it's the hardworking farmer, right? They don't just do it because farming is the right thing to do. There's a great crop at the end that they're going to benefit from, right? Those athletes that train themselves, they want to win a prize at the end, right? They're not just sweating to sweat. You don't just go to the gym because you like to pummel and punish your body. If you do, there's something messed up with you, right? You want the reward. You want to feel good. You want to look good. You want to be able to run. You want to be able to lift up your children when you're older. You want want the reward. We will endure great hardship if we know that there's a reason and a reward at the end. And the author of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, incentivizes us by the grace of God to look forward to that reward. Look at chapter 35, verse, excuse me, verse 35 of chapter 11. I want you just to see a couple other ways that he incentivizes us with rewards. So it should be on the screen as well. It says, therefore, do you see that? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, your confidence in Christ, in trusting in Jesus, eternal life, which has a great reward. Underline great reward. Chapter 11, verse 24, he goes over to Moses. Look at this. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. Rewards are not evil, brothers and sisters. Now, You are saved by grace. You don't earn your salvation. But there are rewards in heaven and God holds them out for us to say, don't give up, don't throw away, be faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. He holds these rewards out for us to say, persevere, endure, don't give up. If your whole life has fallen apart, you still have Jesus. You still have everything. Amen? Moses is held out for us as his character. Remember, Moses grew up in the king's house, right? He somehow slipped out of genocide into becoming a child of Pharaoh, right? He's grown up with all the privilege in the world. He kind of got to switch teams and all of a sudden experienced the wind to his back. But all of a sudden, he saw the plight of his people, He saw his faith in God, and he said, all of these treasures are worthless compared to the great treasure of knowing God and knowing, notice the author of Hebrews says, knowing Christ Jesus. He said, this, all these treasures, the pyramids, the sphinxes, the gold, all of it, 
nothing compared to Jesus. The reward that I get. In the end of Revelation, we have a picture of heaven. Revelation 21, it's a beautiful picture. All the gates have these precious jewels kind of representing the tribes of Israel, but here they are, and we have pearls, the pearly gates, right? All the pearls and the roads. The roads are paved with gold. You thought that was just on TV? No, it's in your Bible, right? It says the, the roads themselves are paved with gold, and some people are so looking forward to heaven. You know why? Because they want the gold <laughs> and the jewels, and they see that. I don't think that's in there so that we're like, sweet, I got a bunch of gold now, gold coins I'm investing for the future, but look at all the gold in heaven. This is what I think in heaven. Gold is so common, it is the asphalt and the tar. I don't care about gold anymore, you know why? Because I got God. I got Jesus and I get to walk with him forever. The greatest reward is God, is God himself. We see the leaders, they have crowns on their head and they're throwing them at the feet of King Jesus and God himself. That is our reward. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart. Jesus has overcome the world and he has a great reward, namely himself and walking with him for all of eternity. And if you want to please God on this side of eternity, look forward to that reward and endure any and every hardship to never give up on Jesus. Amen? Because he is the greatest treasure, greater than all the wealth of Egypt, all the wealth of the United States, all the wealth of the world. Jesus is the greatest, amen? We will cast our crowns at his feet. I want to invite the worship band up with one final story before we go back to praise. In Luke chapter 23, as Jesus is dying for the sins of the world on the cross, the two criminals are being crucified next to Jesus. Most of you know the story. They're being executed as Jesus was being executed, but he was innocent. They were not. They actually had the state justly put them to death. And they both looked at Jesus, but they saw him completely differently. The one criminal actually joined the crowds and railed at Jesus and mocked Jesus. He said, if you're the son of God, save yourself in us. Come on, do your great wonders, Jesus. We're dying here. Pull off a trick, Jesus. Come on. Now, we know in our heart of hearts, Jesus won't come off of that cross. He could have called down legions of angels, and he could have come down in a nanosecond. But he is dying for you and for me and the very criminals that are railing mockery at him. But the other criminal next to Jesus looks over and says, what are you doing? Don't you fear God? We're receiving our just condemnation, and rightly so. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he looks to Jesus with the crown of thorns pressed on his head, with the sign over his head that says, the king, the king of the Jews. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus looks back at him, and he says, I, today I tell you the truth. You will be with me in paradise. The faith that pleases Jesus, 
the faith that pleases God. He looks over and he sees Jesus for who he is, the innocent lamb of God who died to take away his sins. And all he asks for is, Jesus, just remember me. And as his eyes close in death, that very childlike faith that was only getting started, he didn't have hundreds of years. He had maybe a few minutes left. But when he closed his eyes in death, he opened them and paradise was restored. In the very paradise that Adam and Eve had lost, he is now invited back into the presence of the very garden that God once walked with us in the cool of the day. He is now restored back into the very tree of life that we were kicked out of with no access to. He opens his eyes, he says, could it be? I'm a criminal, I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus says, you had faith. You believed in me. You believed in God. You feared him. You trusted him. You repented. You are with me now, and you are rewarded for all of eternity. And friend, if you're here for the first time, whether you have years left or moments left, that faith that pleases God will carry you into eternity for the rest of your life. Do not waste another single moment of your life not trusting in Jesus Christ. Believe that he exists. Walk with him starting today. And believe that he will reward the very faith that saved you. Amen? Amen.